0: Last time I checked, I was still a kid Childish, childish This all freaks me out a bit
1: Hey, after you drop
0: off the kids or put them to bed, turn on Childish with real life friends and podcasting virtuosos Greg Fitzsimmons and Allison Rosen. Laugh about the struggles and joys of parenthood. Grow closer to your children. Learn something useful or not. Maybe feel less alone. And maybe even put the spark back into your love
1: life. Childish is for people who are parents or had parents. If you had no parents, maybe check out WTF with Mark Marin. Subscribe
0: to Childish. New episodes coming soon wherever you listen to podcasts. Childish, oh shit. Last time I checked, I was still a kid. Childish, childish. This all freaks me out a bit. Childish, oh shit. How can I parent when I'm still a kid? Childish, oh shit. Allison in Rosen, in, Allison in Rose.
1: Alison, Allison, we've the good times that we're in. Alison, Rosin,
0: too. We need to dance again. Allison, Rosin,
1: Allison's your new best friend.
0: Hey, everyone. Hi. Hello. Welcome to another episode of Alison Rosen is your new best friend. I'm sitting here in the still as of yet unnamed studio with producer Tony Thaxton, who still needs a nickname. We're getting tons of suggestions.
1: Yeah, I'm not loving any of them. I'm not loving any of them
0: either. No offense to the people who are offering up their heart and their creative soul to us.
1: I give them an A for effort.
0: Yeah, but a not A for Quality. Exactly. We're also <laughs> sitting here with return guests, someone who I really badgered into coming back. Casey St. Ange. Hello. Hi.
1: Thanks for having me. Thank
0: you for coming back. Of course. Everyone loved your first episode, and we have so much more to get into. So let me just give them some background on you. Longtime sure. comedy writer, started as David Letterman's assistant, went on to work for Rosie O'Donnell, Best Week Ever, Joan Rivers. And I still remember that you told me that you had to stop complimenting Joan Rivers' jewelry because every time you told her you'd like something, she'd just take it off and give it to you. Take it right off and <laughs> give it to me. Uh, you worked for Andy Cohen, and most recently, you were the showrunner and executive producer of Busy Tonight with Busy Phillips. You're also a mom and a prince fan and someone who got your eyeliner tattooed on <laughs> and you're someone who's into de- uh deprivation tanks and binaural be- beats, beats yeah, is that am i saying it. that right you got my like whole personality right there. <laughs> one sentence
1: um well, being
0: i told you on twitter because i i took some questions over twitter and patreon and we have those and i told you that i would my first question would be did you really eat a banana in a meeting yesterday?
1: Please back up. Give us the whole banana story. Okay, so um so as you may know if you were a Busy Tonight fan or maybe you weren't and maybe that's why we're talking about this right now. Um my show with Busy Phillips as the host of our late night show on, show on E is no more on E sadly. So um we but we had so much fun working with Tina Fey. She was also an executive producer of the show and we just wanted to continue working together. So we've been, you know, doing what happens in situations like this going around and having a lot of meetings with people that are interested in talking to us about what we are interested in doing going forward and blah, blah, blah. So, you know, so that's all fun and interesting and hopeful and cross our fingers. But yesterday we were having like a second meeting, like a second important meeting with some <laughs> important business people. And, um, but there are such nice people and they had, they had said there's going to be lunch at the meeting. So if you're hungry... Great. And I would ordinarily never eat anything in a meeting. I would pretend I wasn't hungry. Right. Yeah. Even that if sounds was. intimidating. Yeah. It's like a, like a date, um, <laughs> yeah. where you're like me eat. I don't, I don't ever. Um, so we were sitting in this meeting, but, uh, but I, my, I could tell that my stomach was going to make a noise. Um, and so what was on offer was there was candy. There was a lot of gummy candy, which was nice. And it was very specific to Busy Loves Gummy Candy. So, you know, that was very thoughtful of them. There were sandwiches, like artisanal sandwiches with that sort of very dusty bread, mm. you know, flowery bread. Right, that's going to leave like a ghost imprint on your face. And also, as Busy knows, I... I'm allergic to wheat. And I know everybody is like, you know, I don't have celiac disease. I'm not really gluten intolerant. It just legitimately makes me sneeze. Like <laughs> it gives me hay fever every time. And every once in a while, I will take a bite of something with wheat and then I'll start sneezing mm. a minute later. And then someone in my family will say, you ate bread. Um, so I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to have a super huge allergy attack. And so then there was like a little fruit bowl and there were two bananas, some apples. I don't know what else, but I think like an apple, I couldn't wash it. I couldn't, I don't know where that skin has been. Right. And so I was like, a banana is relatively silent can just you take the peel off? It comes in its own wrapper. I'm just gonna eat a banana so that I don't make like so my stomach doesn't make like a big Scooby-Doo noise. That's, <laughs> my stomach makes like Scooby-Doo sound effects, and uh, so I just started eating a banana. And Busy could not believe it. Why? <laughs> because she was like, I've never seen anyone eat a banana in a meeting before. <laughs> and I was like, I've worked places where ev- where we had bananas in the meetings every day. She's like, really? <laughs> But so then we got into a conversation about it. There were Instagram stories about it. It's a whole. It's, it's an event now. It's a whole thing, and you know. And we talked about like whether or not it's like a real power move because that's a thing Busy and I talk about all the time. Like what? One, <laughs> one time we went. Um, we had a meeting with this. Executive, and um, we sat down, and there she had a big bowl on her coffee table with a single chocolate in it. And we were like, that is a real power (laughs) move. And Did so she ever eat it? Busy just took the chocolate and ate it. She was like, "I'll eat that chocolate. I'll I'll like step to this power challenge." And then um, we we were laughing about it, and we told the executive that we loved her power move, and she was like, "It wasn't a power move. I just didn't refill it." And we were like, oh, "Okay." <laughs> <laughs>
0: Here, here's a meeting power question: When you go into a meeting and there's a big conference table, yes. They, it, in my experience. I have different kinds of meetings than you, but like they usually put you in there first and then the rest of the people, like an assistant leads you in and then they, they offer you a drink and then you sit down and then everyone else files in. Where do you sit? You're supposed to sit at the head, right? But I, I think I've done
1: it wrong because I've always been like, I'm going to sit near the head, but not at the head. I, yeah, it's interesting. I think that, I mean, I'm just going, I've been in a lot of meetings recently. Um, we usually sit near the head and we usually don't sit at the head because we sit together Mm -hmm. busy and i sit together and uh sometimes her manager is there and she'll sit on the other side but um we grab each other a lot (laughs) grab each other's (laughs) arms talking to each other a lot and like you know kind of smack each other on the arm like when we're talking (laughs) Sounds weird. Sounds like not an effective meeting strategy. But a lot of times she'll like, you know, for emphasis, like grab my arm or whatever. So we usually sit next to each other and then people sit up, people like that you're meeting with sit opposite on the opposite side, like facing you. But it is so weird. It's like, and also, I mean, like some of these conference room tables, I'm like, get over (laughs) you. Like... Let's get a more modest conference. I've never seen a conference that filled up a conference table, right, and they're so complicated and there's like you just only see it on television only in movies, yeah, yeah when it's like a board meeting right. and they're like ousting the the president of the of a company, right. but other than that, like if you're just talking about like, oh, you know, do you want to do a project together? It's usually four people tops,, mm-hmm. and there truly is not a need for anything bigger than like right. a surfboard. I have been, Ooh, someone should have a surfboard. That's oh, a good for idea. sure. I've
0: been looking for a table for this podcast studio and, uh, most dining room tables I find just don't seem right. So then my husband's like, I know what you should be looking at a conference room table because that would have the like hole in the center yes. for the wires to come out of. So I thought, okay, I'll, I'll just take a gander at some conference room tables online And I tweeted this. I found one on Wayfair before I knew that Wayfair was, uh, it was like the, it was like the day of, it was was an unintentionally topical tweet before I found out that Wayfair has been providing furniture for the uh, detention centers. But anyway, there was a conference table, just a very basic conference table for $4,099. How and why? why? I don't
1: know. It makes no sense to me. It's, uh, listen, I think it's. It doesn't really like unexplored market for, because like when you think about it, it's a lot of like startups and small companies that are buying these tables. And like, I think that, you know, you have to, you have to offer and offer something that meets people where they are. Right. And I think that, uh, you know. It seemed like a misprint, but I don't think it was. And then
0: someone told me it's a tax write off, but, but how is that a tax write off when it's actually, what am, I, what am I missing about how money works? Like, you're actually spending the money on it,
1: so... Yeah, and it's for your business, so you can write so, that off, right? Right, but w- what benefit does that get you? Oh, it, well, it, like, reduces the amount of taxes that you pay. Yeah.
0: Right, but you actually spent the money on it.
1: Right, but it, it, you can deduct that as from your like total, total income you make. Or, like, a portion of it. I feel super dumb right now. I feel like okay. I sound super
0: dumb. No, yeah. no,
1: no. Listen, I can't understand uh, frequent flyer miles, so... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. You know, we all have our thing. Right. Um, I guess I'm thinking of it as a solo
0: person who runs my own business thing where like for me, if I spend 4,000, but then I can write off 4,000, I don't know how much that helped me.
1: Well, you can write off this part of your house. Oh, and I do. All right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just letting you know. Yeah. Um, that's what I know, but it's not for you really to know. It's for your capable right. accountant to know. That's
0: right. Maybe it's sort of like when you go to a hotel and coffee's $10 and it's like, it's just a business thing. Yeah,
1: exactly. And you should try to get someone else to pay for it by the way. Yeah. The always. Right, right. That's like I, yeah. that is also very businessy. I feel like, like you know, let someone else go for the check. See how that goes. Yes. <laughs> um,
0: you uh, you moved out here for yeah, the job. I did. I you did. were in. You had been in Connecticut and working in New York for yes. always, for always, for like
1: yeah, since I was a baby, <laughs> since I was born. Right after college. Um, but yeah, we moved out here. I worked out here for like a couple time, a couple months at a time. Right. At yeah. That's
0: when, um, I had you on the podcast last time you were
1: doing a uh, Andy Cohen. Yeah. Yeah. So I've come out here to work like, you know, like maybe six or eight weeks maximum, but never lived here. But yeah, so we moved here and, um, yeah. So we're here now. How do you feel about it? I really, you know, it's interesting when the show was happening, I came out last July and when we were ramping up to do the show and then doing the show, I really just was like there at the show. Like it really is. um, We had such a small team and and it's such a big job to get a show up and running. And I think we did exceptionally well at it. Um, It was one of the fastest launches that that I've ever been a part of. Um, How fast was it? I mean, it really, like, we were really just together, like, maybe all together, like, four weeks before. I mean, I was there and working on it for some time. Um, not getting paid that whole time, but, um, but that's neither here nor there. Um, but it's a little bit here and there. (laughs) But just like a few weeks ahead, the rest of the staff came in, and it's not just, and did you guys not have a format yet? Um, we had been working busy and I, and, and Tina and the folks at little stranger had been working on a format. So we, we did. Um, but then, yeah, once we got the team in, uh, it was, it was relatively quick, you know, just like a a four week, but just also, you know, in my experience, I've done this over and over in like the past 25 years, like starting a new show from big shows, you know, big network talk shows to small, you know, cable talk shows. And this is, um, this is the fastest that a show ever found. It's like true groove. I Mm -hmm. feel like so. um, And that's even including like a show that was coming over from another network or whatever. So I was really proud of what we did, but anyway, what were we talking about? Yeah. I was just asking about, yeah. Um, I, so I haven't really, this, these few weeks since the show has sort of wrapped, um, have been like the first time that I've really like, checking out California, Mm -hmm. you know, other than my immediate surroundings. So it's been nice, you know, just hanging out. And, um, but yeah, my family really likes it. My older son just came to visit from Connecticut and it's good. Yeah. My, my younger son is in high school. He has one more year and my husband is here and he says he wants to die here. So, Oh, So he's happy. Yeah. So I guess that's
0: it. (laughs) Okay. Well, I was going to ask if there any (laughs) element of like, Oh fuck, we just completely relocated. And now this show went away.
1: I mean, that's with anything. And like, you know, I I think that to some degree, I know some people, I, I would especially say like, I know at one point busy was like, I'm sorry that I made you move here. And I was like, that's not even a thing because you could lose your job, particularly in television. You could lose your long-term job at any time. Like they could just become bored of looking at your face. Like that <laughs> happens, you know, or not even that, like even people I know that worked on shows for a really long time and were really beloved. Like sometimes they just decide that like, you know, we need to change it up and get some like fresh blood in here. And so that happens all the time. There are no guarantees and anything, you know, it, it sounds so cliche, but they're just, really are no guarantees and honestly like I was talking to Andy Cohen recently he texted me just to like see what was going on and he was like I mean it seems to me like you would 1000% do this over again if you, even if you knew that this is what was going to happen and I was like yeah I guess I I would have you know it's been really fun I've learned a ton and I was at that other job for 9 years and I think like I'm so proud of the work that I did there, but I don't think that I was, you know, I don't think that I was bringing anything. Were you showrunner? I wasn't the showrunner. I was a co-executive producer, and so worked just I've mostly. Watched what yeah, I've watched What Happens Live, so mostly I was on the creative side and not a lot on the practical side. But mm-hmm. I like that stuff too, you know. um, And I really enjoyed putting together the staff for Busy Tonight. So I was happy to get a chance to do that, and you know, yeah. So. You said that you learned a ton on this yeah. night. What did you learn? Well, <laughs> um, what did I learn? I just learned. I learned a lot about the way things work in LA versus New York. Um, it just is like it's again so cliche, but it's such a different vibe. Like the laid back. Feeling here versus New York, people are very much like always driving forward. Um, so that's been kind of funny. Just like people are like want to have meetings, and I'm like, I think all we did was eat salad. I don't know. <laughs> <We> <laughs> and a banana. Did, yeah, did we do anything? Um, you know, and that that's like separate from from the work thing. But I just do you can I sure that's you. okay. Do you think that the um, productivity
0: is different or the attitude or both?
1: Um, I don't, I mean, listen, I don't think the productivity is, I don't think it's measurably different because I think that both places make successful creative television. So, um, yeah, I just think it's a little bit of the attitude and the vibe. And actually I really like California because like it, I do enjoy like a more laid back attitude because I'm not especially laid back so it's good to have a reminder like listen this isn't like an emergency room in a hospital we're not saving anyone's life really Um, we're just doing a thing and it's going to get done and you know and really like trusting people to to do their jobs and not taking it so seriously Mm -hmm. because ultimately like I think you have to like look at what the goal is of what you're trying to accomplish and I think the way that you especially something creative that is going to be consumed by someone in any way I think that the way the way that you accomplish it becomes obvious in the final product so if you're trying to make something that's like enjoyable and an escape and a treat for someone and you really labored over it and stressed over it, it you know I think that shows that strain shows mm-hmm. and so it's kind of like I mean, truly, like, if I'm gonna be nuts about something, (laughs) like, why am I making TV? You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Like, it should be pretty fun. So that was nice for me to just be able to be like, oh, you know, aside from like the stressors of, you know, trying to make it a success in too short of a time, in my opinion. um, It really was fun. It really just was like fun every day and people that I loved. So what did happen with the show? Well, I guess just, you know, it's interesting, like this one executive um, that we were dealing with, you know, he always just said, like, it's a, you know, we understand we want the ratings to grow. We need the ratings to grow. It's a marathon, not a sprint. We're committed to the show. And so, you know, we just kind of took that at face value and had that be our mantra. But it just, you know, <laughs> that is, that's a thing that I learned that the length of a marathon. <laughs> depends on, you know, who, who's in charge of the marathon. So, you know, and that's not no shade to them. Like it's a business. And, you know, so I just think ultimately, like when I was at watch what happens live, it was very interesting to me. They would move that show around to time slot wise. Yeah. To try to get it to have the best lead ins and the best ratings. and They're really strategic about it. And I think that, you know, There wasn't probably so much strategy, but also like we weren't Andy Cohen on Bravo. We were Busy Phillips, a new entity to Mm E um, and like just trying to join the family, join the E family. And so I don't think there was as much strategy, but also it's just like, it's a tough, you know, cable is a tough market right now. Late night's a tough market, kind of like everybody's down in late night. And, um, so to try to take a very small budget show, a very small show on a very small network, um, my gut is that what happened is that here's what I know. I know that when the show started, we got all this important data. Our audience was like 10 years younger than any other late night show. That's great. That's Mm -hmm. great news, you know, because that you don't, you want that younger audience. But then anecdotally, what we heard from so many people that were of the age of who would be watching our show and a 75% female, the audience. So many people said, Oh, I watch all I can on YouTube, but I'm a cord cutter. I don't have cable. I don't have that channel. I wish there was another way. Can I subscribe to it in some way? And we were like, kind of the only way is to get this, you know, but people are kind of like onto a new thing now that doesn't include necessarily like Buying cable channels right. a la carte. So, um, so people were watching all they could and the show generated a ton of press. Like every, every show, I think we like crunched everything at the end of the show and every show generated like 11 pieces of press, which was, wow. um, on average, which was amazing. And no other show I've ever worked on has, has quite done that. But in the end, like all that doesn't really count toward like whether something works on this particular, you know, so I just, I think it just maybe wasn't the right place, Mm -hmm. but I also think that it was, you know, it was like, I'm looking at it like a grant or a fellowship. (laughs) Like they gave us this time and this opportunity. I wish we had had longer. I think we could have done well. I think we could have done great things, but that's not what happened. So,
0: moving on. How long uh did you how long was it on? 26 weeks. And at what point did you realize the fate?
1: Um, I think they let us know like a few weeks before the second cycle was over, you know, or just sort of like Like when the lease is coming up on the studio or whatever Mm -hmm. and you're kind of like, well, we need to know because like – so then you start to sort of feel that way. But it was – in a way, it was a surprise because as I said, like the last we knew – it was all, you know, we're all in and we're planning like a big marketing push and, you know, all this stuff. But also, I've been doing this a long time. So mm-hmm. I understand that sometimes you're, the left hand is making plans while the right hand is like tallying numbers and checking the bank accounts. Right. So, you know. Right. Yeah. Were you, were you,
0: were you personally affected though by it? I mean, I fe- sorry, affected the wrong word. This is what, let me, let me, sure, let sure. me throw some, throw more words around yeah. this question. Being someone who's been a professional in television for as long as you have been, yeah. I could imagine that there's part of you that just like goes into professional TV person mode of like, yeah. I've been through this, I know how this goes, whatever, we did our best. Yeah. But then I could also, it seems like you're very personally invested in this show. Yeah. Um, and so I could also see feeling really hurt and bummed. So I'm like, where were you on that spectrum?
1: Well, I think like I wanted you know for the team because it really was just like such a killer great team for the team I wanted to be like well let, first of all let's figure out like I wanted to be very honest with everybody because that has not always been the case in shows that I've worked on they, like there are shows that I've worked on that have never said that they weren't getting picked up you know like it's like 12 years later and I'm still waiting for that call back about whether we're returning is that best week ever <laughs> no but that one that one they did let us know okay <laughs> but it does keep coming back i'm sure it'll come back again (laughs) um but so i wanted to be really honest with everyone and let them know so you know just for so they could protect themselves and sort of prepare themselves for for what was happening but also like you know there are conventions and reasons and and there were a lot of people to still do work right that was really not an issue. Like I think those people, I always want to call them kids, but they're not kids. They're women, grown women. Um, our staff was like 93% women, total professionals. And they just worked. Mm -hmm. And like, by the way, we were like, do we want to try a podcast like in the week after? Or do we want to try to do, just do something like on the phone to put on Instagram for fun or whatever, just to like make ourselves laugh and make ourselves feel better. And I got so many emails from people being like, I'll be there. I'll do it. Mm-hmm. You know, like I'll, I'll be there to do this thing. So like they were, they were offering to work past the point of, you know, when there was anything in it for them right. other than, you know, just being together. So such a great team. And, um, but yeah, I mean, listen, he, there's a couple reasons I take it. I, I get very personally invested in any show that I work in because I think you kind of have to like fall in love a little bit, you know you spend so much time with these people and you really have to like you know i used to think so much that my job for andy was to make him come across as charming and bright as he really is and that's a lot of pressure especially when you're doing live television whatever and you you sort of have to like fall in love with that person and then i think like I always worry because I have worked in places where I feel like people d- aren't really down with like who they're working with. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you're, cr- you're helping like craft the message that's going out to like the masses from this person. And if you don't love them and want what's best for them and want them to like appear in this great light, like, uh, you know, it's something could go wrong or, and also it's just, why they're not being protected. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and why spend your time like that? Because you can, you know, hopefully work anywhere, hopefully work somewhere that is fulfilling for you instead of, you know, um, making you feel kind of miserable or like you're not on the same page. So I always love whoever I'm working with a lot and have stayed in touch with pretty much everyone I've ever worked with. But this one also, it was a little personal because, you know, um the it, the women in late night thing is still a problem and it's the same problem as like can we elect a woman president? It's just I don't know. I don't know. And it's also the problem with the numbers of women working in television. When people say like, well, you know, people have a million theories of what you have to do or to to have more diversity on your television staffs, people keep talking about yeah, what we have to do these plans that we have to make and these programs that we have to implement. And really the answer is no, you just give it to somebody mm-hmm. and you stick with it. You know, <laughs> like that's, that is the answer. Next time you go to hire someone, hire a person of color. Next time you go to hire someone, hire a woman. That's the only way. That's right. the only way we're ever going to get close to parity, And it's the only way that people who haven't Who've been gatekept out of these jobs um, are gonna get the experience that they need because that's that's what you run into. So you know, so on at Busy Tonight is a good example. You know, we sort of took some risks on some people that they hadn't done exactly what we were doing. But here's what I know. I've been doing this a long time. It's not brain surgery. You know what I mean? Like if you can work a camera or if you can write an essay, you can work a camera or write a script. Um, You can, you know, you just, you just can. It's not, Mm -hmm. it's not a hard job to do at all. And if you want to do it well, you will do it well. And if somebody is going to give you an opportunity to do it well and to give you the benefit of all of their expertise, then it's no problem. So to, you know, I've been in this situation. I probably mentioned this the last time I was here. I've been in a situation where like somebody, I'm not going to say the show, but that I've gotten a call from whoever saying, listen, this show is bound and determined to get some women in the mix. They are only accepting submissions from women because they want to hire two women to add to their staff of like, however, 10, 12, 14 guys. <laughs> so I know like you roll your eyes at this and you always think that you don't have a shot at this, but sincerely, they're only looking at women. And so you'll do like a writing submission or whatever. And the last time that happened, they still hired one man <laughs> that they weren't even looking for right? a woman from that, you know, hundreds cool. of Women in the pool that threw their hat in the ring for two jobs and then still were like, oh, everybody knew this guy and they all liked him. So we brought him in and you're like, oh, okay, I guess, (laughs) you know, so it's just that's all it is, is just like making a a determination. And and yeah, I understand that I you know, you hear a lot I heard this the last time that like chart came out in the LA times, mm-hmm. like detailing how many right. writers were in And, uh, you know, so I heard from a lot of like, I love all these like late night guys. I love them all. I'm friends with some of them. I'm certainly friends with people that work on all of their shows. Um, and so I heard from a lot of people like in my in my messages like well, here's how it works on our show and we don't get as many women like submitting and that's why it's so hard because it's a reduced pool. And I'm just sort of like, well, yeah, because like women <laughs> women know that like they have to decide whether it's worth trying, whether it's worth you know bothering and they've already been sort of discouraged from other, experience gaining opportunities that would make them you know put them at a level you know so how did you guys go about making a staff that was you say 93 percent women it wound up being like 93 percent the creative staff was 93 Mm percent women and uh, tons of our director was also a woman tons of women on our crew um it was a really diverse staff which was wonderful because i just think like you know, you need all of those voices to make sure that you're including everyone that you want to include in your party. You know, (laughs) like you think of your show as a party and what makes the most interesting guest list and who you'd want to have there and who you'd most be fascinated by, you know, hearing from. And so that's what I want a staff to look like too. So we were really lucky. Yeah, we just really, I mean, when we're hiring writers, uh, You know, we're just looking for people that were like, sort of not just nailing Busy's voice, but, uh, which was great, but also like bringing their own voices to the table, which was really interesting because that when you're, when you're judging like writing submissions, a lot of them can tend to be very samey samey, you know, which is, um, So that's an interesting thing that I was reminded of. I hadn't Mm -hmm. had that experience, but even like some really like people that have been doing this for so long and like names that you know, and that you've seen in the credits of a lot of TV shows that you love and, and that it's so cool to have people like that, like reaching out and being interested in working on your show. But then a lot of just like really same, like not just the same to each other, the samples the same to each other, but also this like could have been on any other show pretty Mm -hmm. much. So what really stuck out for me were the people who just were like, Hey, listen, this is what I think is funny. And like, here's the way that I react to something like, because to me that was exciting. Like, Oh, they're going to bring something to this room and to this table every day. And in general, do you think that that approach is, uh,
0: the approach of someone who is less experienced? That's a good question.
1: Um... I don't, no, I just think it was the approach of like people that really did have something to say mm-hmm. and were were just sort of like, "Well, this is a new show, and like it could go in any direction, so here 's the direction that I would try to bring it in right uh, you know myself so so that was really exciting, and I get it like you know very early on, I learned that you know you're when you're writing you 're trying to write an in, inner performer's voice. And so, if you're not writing in that person's voice, then, you know, but that, but the thing where it gets kind of, you know, where we are today is that, especially if someone's like been on TV for 10 or 20 or 30 years and their voice never evolves, and then they're, they all start to homogenize and not really have any, you know, like you can, you can watch the monologues, even sometimes like the monologues have the same jokes, mm-hmm. you know, and it's just because like everybody's writing in this sort of like... Late night voice. Yeah, unanimous late night voice and and it's a very male voice and, you know, so like there were things like we never mentioned Trump's name on Busy Tonight <laughs> because we were just like everybody knows, like everybody knows what he did, everybody knows and everybody has had a take on this by the time this show rolls around at 11 o'clock. Like you've seen it all on Twitter all day. So we're just like, you know what? Let's talk about other things. <laughs> Let's just like, you know,
0: was that a, um, a was that a constant conversation about whether to mention him or was it just like, we're not going to mention him.
1: It just kind we were kind of like, Listen, if you want to hear about Trump, you should watch Samantha B. She's the best at it. She does a great job at it and that's her job. Mm. And she's, you know, so we love her and that's what, <laughs> that's where you should get that. We sort of were like, um, you know, the, we were a nonpartisan show. And I think people think that means not political, but it actually was very political because a, it was hosted by a woman, which is very political, just trying to succeed Mm -hmm. and be a woman um, doing this thing, knowing that you're not going to get the kind of shot that, that a man might is one thing. And then also we were just talking about issues that like, you know, that were meaningful to us about the fact that there's like a tampon tax and, you know, and how men shouldn't show up at women's jobs and <laughs> like distract them from their work, you know, things like that that are political. They're just not partisan. Mm-hmm. There are any, any woman of any political bent can appreciate that, you know, tampons should be affordable. Right. Was the decision not to be partisan, was that busy's decision? I think it was just all of our decision because it, you know, yeah, it just was like, we were saying when we were developing the show, we were just like, everybody's going to bed with like a pit in their stomach. Yeah. And like, right before you go to bed, like right before you turn in for the night, you're hearing like a re yet another rehash of everything horrible that's gone on in the world. And it's not to say that like those things aren't important, but we also were thinking there is some value in allowing people a minute to recharge and not go to bed with a pit in their stomach Mm -hmm. and get up to fight another day and be empowered to fight another day, especially as women. So that's where we were focusing because we were saying like, you know, I don't know how you feel, but we were all, the show originally started at 10 o'clock and I felt like that was a really good spot for it because that's a time when you're kind of looking around for something that's comforting, something that's a little lighter. And so that's where we, that's where we went you know just like listen this is something that like it can be funny and informative but also like light and make you feel empowered and inspired and you know and it's okay to be emotional but we just didn't want to make people feel like super angry although Mm -hmm. we you know we got angry (laughs) yeah at things ourselves but also you know in a funny way hopefully um, to go back to what we
0: were talking, something we were talking about before, you were talking about when you knew the fate of the show yeah. and you wanted to uh, be honest with everyone. Yeah, but there are certain conventions, and then I cut you off and I said, "Well, you wanted them to work though, but what?" And you said it really wasn't. You weren't
1: worried about that. What were what were you g- going to say in terms of like the, the conventions? Oh, just that you know that everybody has like <laughs> has a different opinion. Like the network has an opinion of how this should go down and and everybody involved with the show has an opinion of like when that information should be released. And then you later everybody wanted to tell them. Yeah. I mean like if it was me, I just would have said whatever from the jump because Mm -hmm. I am big on being honest. Um, but, and I think busy sort of felt the same way, but we sort of like let the staff know and let everybody know that it wasn't going to be public just yet. And so if everybody could hold off and like, As suspected, nobody said anything and everyone did exactly, you know, the, exactly what we asked of them for like the best way to try to move forward and possibly like get the show going somewhere else. So, so.
0: for how long was everyone not? Just a couple weeks, a couple you weeks. know? <laughs> yeah. So is the hope to find a new home for the show as is?
1: Um, I don't know that that's the hope. I don't even know. I mean, I'm not what's the legal type of person called an attorney? Yeah. (laughs) Um, I'm not an attorney, so I don't know exactly how, how that would go. Um, but I think the hope is to do something. Listen, it doesn't, we've been in all these meetings and having all these meetings and I'm sort of like, no matter where you do it and what she's sitting on while she does it, And, uh, you could do it standing in a suitcase or balancing on a watermelon. (laughs) Oh, those are both (laughs) great ideas. (laughs) You know, well, that's the, that's the big thing now. Like what's the, you know, what's the hook? And I'm like, I think mostly what you're talking about is the setting. Like, so it can like take place in like a restaurant booth or it can take place in a bathroom stall or a car or whatever, but all of that. And that's all great. Those are all, uh, cool, creative decisions, but I think in the end, no matter where it happens, um, she'll still be bringing like that same spirit and same energy to it. So the show was her, the show is her. And so she'll be her, whether, you know, whether it's wherever, you know?
0: So you said that with, um, Andy, your job was to make him as charming and smart, like on air as you know him to be. What do you feel like your job was with busy?
1: Well, that was just everything from like soup to nuts. So it was just really about like building the format of the show and then, um, staffing the show. And I, I mean, we really, she and I, and, um, Tina's partner, this guy, Eric Gurian, who's such a great guy. And, uh, Nelson Walters, who was our co-executive producer. These are like the two guys that worked on the show. Um, we did a lot of work on that front end and uh but busy and i like really like spent a lot of time like talking about the set and what we wanted the set to look like and how it was a very cool set. Oh, uh, thank you. And like what we were inspired by and what we wanted the show to be. So it was just everything. Like where at Watch What Happens Live everything i did was creative. This was Everything mm-hmm. you know, I, and I mean, on other shows, I've always been aware of like the business side of everything, and I have had to intersect with the business side all throughout my career. But this is the first time that I ever just like had to handle all the business, you know. And how did you and Busy meet? Busy and I know each other through our mutual friend Paul F. Tompkins, who's a close friend of both of ours. Um, and uh, then we just have known each other over the years through social media and when she would come to be a guest on watch what happens live, we would always hang out and, um, just get to know each other there. But yeah, we're always just sort of like, you know how that is on social media. Mm -hmm. Like if you're how you and I met, I think, right? Yeah. Yeah, probably. And when I think about it, like these, I've known so many people for like 10 plus years and they, speak to you, you know, every day. Like it's, it's more frequent than some of my family members. (laughs) I, you know, I, I think I talked to, so biz was just one of those people and we knew a million people in common. So, you know, so when the time came, she was like, Oh, let's get in touch with this woman (laughs) and see if she'll move out here and do this.
0: And I feel like I read
1: something about, didn't she reach out to you for advice? Or no, or you thought it was for advice. Well, she called me and she was like, look, I'm getting this talk show on E! Tina Fey is producing it. And uh, it's already sold. And I want you to be the showrunner. And I said, well, I have a job and I live here. But here's what I'll do. I'll meet you for lunch Mm -hmm. and I'll give you a list of names of great people that would be perfect showrunners for this. I'll tell you everything I know about making a talk show because Tina had never, you know, SNL is obviously like, a variety show, a comedy variety show, but she'd never made like a straight up late night talk show. Um, so I was like, I'll get together with you all you want and and tell you everything I know and, and give you all kinds of tips and tricks. <laughs> and um, so that was the first thing. So we like met for breakfast and then like five meetings later, <laughs> then it just was like, it was something that was probably always going to happen. So I feel lucky that they were patient with me just being like, well, she's going to, she's going to decide to do this at some Mm -hmm. point, you know? So they were persistent. Yeah. A little bit. I mean, I don't even know. I don't know. You'd have to ask them. I don't even know. uh, Probably if you ask busy, she'd be like, it wasn't really persistence. Like I knew that she was gonna (laughs) come around to this at some point. Like that's, Um, busy is a powerful witch. And (laughs) uh, so I'm always like, when she says something that sounds like a great idea, I'm like, write that down because whenever she writes something down, like it really comes true. It's kind of (laughs) amazing. So, um, yeah, I just think that, I think they all hoped that I would do it and it was just a matter of me being like, well, can I do this? You know, um, if it was just me, I would have said yes in a second, Mm -hmm. but we're, you know, it's complicated to move across the country and whole family. Yeah. So, and you know, leave one behind and take one with you and, you know, so, um, and two dogs
0: who your husband is always complaining about on Instagram. Horrible! What's
1: the deal with the dogs? They're horrible. They're like, they're, schnauzer jack russell terrier mixes the two most high strung <laughs> type of dogs they're also like there's their sisters which you're not really supposed to have sisters but so they were litter mates yeah they were litter mates and we um were trying to adopt we were trying to adopt someone from this litter and they kept saying that one's gone that one's gone that one's gone and then we got to like the fifth dog and they were like that one's gone and then we're like there's one more dog in the litter they allowed us to adopt her but then they called back and said, "Well, the the one before this one that you were interested in got uh, returned because the little girl was allergic to her. Mm. Do you want her as well?" And we were like, "I mean, we just we should have googled quickly. Should you adopt sister dogs?" And the answer is no. Um. So yeah. So they're just like it's a real like gray gardens type of. <laughs> situation happening except it's (laughs) sisters instead of mother daughter and they're just incredibly high strung and really just bark at everything and are very excitable and then they turn on each other sometimes and uh, it's a real dog soap opera (laughs) (laughs) and now why are you not supposed to adopt sisters they i guess they're like kind of hostile to each other because they i don't I don't know. Specifically, again, not a dog expert, clearly. (laughs) Or an attorney. (laughs) Or an attorney. I'm not a dog attorney. (laughs) Um, But yeah, they just really, they have like, they're, you know, they're nuts. They, They have like their, ideas of who they are in their pack (laughs) and they're incorrect and they change all the time. They try to police each other Mm -hmm. and that's when the fighting usually it'll usually be like one of them is seemingly reprimanding the other one for doing something that the other one thinks is out of line. And the right. next thing you know, they're like trying to bite each other's eyeballs out. Have they and, actually hurt each other? Uh, yeah. One time there was like a little bit like they usually just really posture and make like alarming noises mm-hmm. at each other. But, um, one time I think one intentionally like scratched the other one mm-hmm. and, and I, it scared them both. I think. Because, uh, because one cried, but so it's, we've just developed a lot of coping strategies that involve tiring them out and <laughs> making sure that certain family members don't make one jealous over mm. the other, you know, but it's, I, I hear Mariah Carey has had similar problems with uh. her Jack Russell. <laughs> <laughs> what are their names? Um, Millie and Bertie. They're very cute. That's the thing. Are they you affectionate know? towards you guys? They can be, um, but they're also like rescues. They came from an animal hoarding situation, oh, wow. so who knows like what happened in their past life? But Millie is very affectionate and also really dumb. Like it's uh, <laughs> it's sad. Um, she's such a sweet girl, and then Birdie is like affectionate slash manipulative. Mm. Um so she'll be very affectionate but like really on her own terms and also like you just get the sense that she's trying to like get something out of you. She is like you know those do- those dog puzzles like Millie will work really hard her little like hamster wheel brain turning to like open the puzzle and Bertie's smart enough to know like when that dummy gets the puzzle piece out like I move in and get the treat oh. that's inside the puzzle. So that's how it always goes and oh, Millie no. never never gets it like, charlie like brown. yeah <laughs> yeah she's a real charlie brown um yeah so that's what it is but yeah birdie is um she's like the movie all about eve that's right yeah, yeah I think she's like always wants to come out on top <laughs> it also is a little bit like what happened to baby jane i think yeah Even though
0: i've never yeah. seen that i've only read it and just the synopsis frightened you know, me you know yeah, yeah. Um, I'm going to say something controversial, and I'm sure I'm going to hear about it, uh, and it's not politically correct in human or dog world, but I really, my limited experience, I really think
1: male dogs are easier than female dogs. Well, that makes sense when you think about, like, you know, obviously, like, female dogs are, you know... The word bitch. Is that where you're going with this or? No, I was going to say that like, you know, female dogs are probably like biologically conditioned to, uh, think about like giving birth and protecting life and, you know, all those things that like stress us out as human women happens to, you know, there's like a dog patriarchy too, you know? So so. like the guy dogs are probably easier because they don't have a care in the world. They'll hump a, Pillow. sofa pillow yeah you know yeah and just be like have no shame about it right. all the confidence in the world sometimes just the air That's yeah yeah just like oh, walking yeah. around moving our, it moving it male
0: dog used to hump pillows yeah. um yeah because we have a female dog now and i love her but she's she's moody yeah. she's picky yeah she's barky and sort of anxious yeah but i mean i but i'm sure there's you know
1: it's a small sample size Well, I just think, you know, it's like the things that happen in the animal kingdom (laughs) are probably remarkably similar to things that, that we have complaints about. So being like a domesticated female dog is probably so weird, right? Because everything (laughs) that's like biologically, like all your biological imperatives are kind of like thwarted, thwarted and not necessary in the setting. And so that must be like,
0: I mean, I can't imagine having your reproductive organs removed is awesome for any of them. Male or female.
1: Yeah, that's true. That's true. It's messed up. Yeah. But also, but
0: I don't, I've talked, I've mentioned this before on the show. Like I get that it's the humane thing. Yeah. But also is it the humane thing? (laughs) Right. How how I feel. Humane for whom? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, I think we should take, some questions that came in on Patreon. I'm on Patreon. Okay. Patreon. Patreon.com slash Rosen is where you go for uh, bonus stuff, behind-the-scenes content, live stream, merch in the mail. You get your questions asked ahead of everyone, and we have a little <laughs> song. When we ask, they send them in, they'll wonder So
1: thanks so much for answering these
0: questions from our fans. All right. Claire wrote in, oh, excited for this interview. And then there's a few questions.
1: One, tell us about your love of Prince. Oh, my gosh. I love Prince. (laughs) I have loved him since I was a really little kid. I um, first saw him perform the song I Want to Be Your Lover on American Bandstand when I was seven i believe um and i was at my grandmother's house with my aunts who were who were like 7 6 and 7 years older than i so they were tweens and teens um and uh i he was wearing gold pants i loved those gold pants i'll never forget um and but also i think there was something like i had a little bit of some things in my childhood were tough. Mm -hmm. And I think that there was something in the message of that song that flipped a little switch for me. And I've since come to like, sort of, I guess like putting my finger on it is that like, for me, Prince introduced the concept of consent, um, like sexual consent. And uh, I guess that's why that was different than anything that anything else that I was hearing, but also different than what I knew in my life. And um and I thought that was pretty like hopeful. I guess that was kinda of hopeful for me at that time. So that's why I loved him. That's when I first loved him. Mm-hmm. And um got, you know, got a hold of his record albums or would get to listen to his record albums at my grandmother's house because of my teen aunts and uncles and um yeah, just loved him since then. Were you abused? Have you talked about it? Do you talk about it? Um, a little bit. It's tough. Cause it was like a family thing. So I don't want to like <laughs> put my family on blast, but yeah, I have talked some about it and written some about it, mm. but also I just feel like it's, I don't know. I don't know, man. It's, it's, it's rough and it's like triggering for other people. And it's certainly like weighed so heavily on me my whole entire life. Um, but also has like kind of made me who I am and made what's important to me important to me. So I don't want to say that I'm grateful for it because I'm certainly not. And, uh, I deserved better and everyone that goes through something like that deserves better. But, um, yeah. So anyway, that was, he was, Prince was a little bit of like a, a little salvation mm-hmm. treat for me at that age.
0: And your husband is super into Prince as well. Was, did, was this
1: something? Uh, ha- was he on his own into Prince when you guys met? Not really. I think like I remember this is how good a guy my husband is. Like I was raised by a single mom and we just lived on this like really rocky, like it was not a big property, but like a, a rural farm property and my mom worked and I worked always like, you know, one or two jobs and my husband had a job too. We met in college, but like when we met... He would, at just some point, he just started to like mow our lawn, like, because he was like, your mom's too busy to do it. You never have time to do it. I was like working nights in a nursing home and he was like living in the dorm in a school in my hometown. Remind and, me
0: where you guys went.
1: Uh Fitchburg State College in Fitchburg, Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. So he would like come to my house and mow the lawn. And it was just like one thing off my mom's plate and... So fairly nice. easy for him to do and you know so so nice and so just like that's how generous he is that's the kind of guy he is and i think that he would um he had a walkman but he would get you know listen to a walkman while he was mowing the lawn and he would get a uh, board or like forget a tape or whatever so he would go through like the box of tapes in my room and i think that's where he really like he had some awareness of prints from his older sister i think like maybe listening to the purple rain tape or something he might have like secreted that from her when he mm-hmm. was a kid but then like uh like when we were in college he was like getting my old tapes to listen to while, while mowing our lawn That's so
0: sweet because um,
1: he's the nicest and so then i think like you know especially i always loved prince and i think i kind of loved him like quietly because again like i think that it's really typical especially like in growing up in the 80s and and being like a young woman in the 90s Music was so important then, but I also think that like we were still in a time where for me, I was very deferential to whoever I was dating, like whatever music they liked, that's what we listened to, you know, and whatever concerts they wanted to go to, that's where we went and, you know, same with movies. So I spent a lot of time (laughs) listening to a lot of music that I didn't care so much about. Mm -hmm. And, um, so I very quietly loved Prince and I would like, whenever we got like, um, when we got online, like I would go onto his websites, and you know he had all these car- incarnations of websites. And I also, I was really lucky because, uh, you know, right out of college, bang, I started working in TV, and he came. Or, you know, I never could afford to go see. Um, I just didn't have access to go see him perform live when I was a kid. So now I was living in New York city and he was like coming on these shows to perform that, you know, that I was working on. So I was getting to be like, you know, right there. Yeah. And, um, so yeah, so that was pretty lucky. And then when he, when he passed away, um, it was terrible. <laughs> and I just remember like my whole family being like, are you okay? Like this is, you know, we know this guy's like a big deal for you. Um, but I had never really like been a big deal f- fan. Like I hadn't been a very loud fan, mm-hmm. you know, um, of anything, of anything really. And there's really only a couple of things I care about. And that's like the Muppets and Prince. That's- <laughs> um, so, you know, so all of those things, um, when he, but when he died, I, I feel like so many people like made their appreciation for him known and so many things that, you know, had sort of come and gone over time, whether they weren't available because, you know, he had very like curious business practices sometimes. Mm-hmm. So things that weren't available were becoming available through like, kosher means or sometimes nefarious means right. or whatever, but it, but also everybody just spoke up more. So I remember when, when he died and I said like, oh gosh, like I really love this guy and he meant a lot to me throughout the years. And like, I'm very devastated. There were a million other people there were like, yeah, me too, you know? And, and so, so it's been kind of an adventure and kind of beautiful in a way because like I consider, you know, gosh, he gave us like these musical gifts that's great. But also like he was building this home that was meant to sort of be a monument to the type of music that he made and the type of life that he tried to lead. And you can like go visit that now. And you know that every person that's there just about probably loves him just as much as, as you do and did and, and has like their own story about why they love him. So it's, you know, I think about like, I went to Paisley Park Gosh, I went to Paisley Park like for his the first birthday of his that passed and he didn't celebrate his birthday, but um but I we took a trip to visit Paisley Park and like Minneapolis was like bumping, like the whole town. I love that this town celebrates this guy, like that he's their son. They love him so much there. I don't think it will ever like I've never seen anything like this. Mm-hmm. I've never seen someone so celebrated by their hometown. And um, so we went and it was super fun and we went to Paisley Park and took a tour and um, I could talk about this forever, honestly. <laughs> but then there was like an event like a Paisley Park after dark, like a dance party. And so we went to that and my friend's foot was broken and my husband, Matt is not much of a dancer, but we went into this club inside Paisley Park, the MPG club and there were tables that were for like eight or 10 people. And so the three of us sat down at this table and then gradually it filled up with like another party of like three women. And then a couple women that were like on their own were like, can I sit with you? And so like this woman sat down and we, I was like, I'm going to get up and dance. Like, uh, do you want to dance to this woman? And she was like, Yeah, let's dance. So we're getting up and we're dancing and just having the time of our lives. And like, we don't know each other. And then after I was like, Hey, my name's Casey. And she was like, Hey, I'm Violet. And then we were like, We've been friends on Instagram for like, Oh, how funny. Years. <laughs> <laughs> but that was our first time meeting up. So, you know, oh, just that's so cool. Like, that's a gift too, you know? Um, which is a nice thing. And so I tried not to be like too cool or embarrassed about it because I think that sometimes people are like, they really hold back their feelings on things. And, and like, what is life? Like if you're too cool for life, then yeah. what are you doing? Yes. You know, two,
0: Claire wants to know, are you friends with Greg Heller or is he just a fan of yours? You know, Greg, he comes on this show periodically. Yes. He thinks that Busy moved her office because he was laughing too loud. <laughs> no.
1: He had an office in He was Oh, oh, oh. I'm so sorry. Greg had an uh, No, Busy didn't move her office because Greg laughed too loud. Busy <laughs> moved her office because she wanted to be in the sunniest spot. Okay. Greg, when we were at 10 UCP, when we were developing the show, Greg had the office to the right of me. And then when busy would come in, she had, she wanted the office with the most windows and the most sun because she's like a lizard and (laughs) she will just press herself up against a sunny window. Um, whereas I try to limit my exposure to the sun. But anyway, Greg was... Not that he laughed
0: too loud, that he was too loud in general, I think, as well. No,
1: I don't think so. Here's the thing. We stole Greg's assistant. We hired her. He mentioned, yeah. As a writer, um, right? Yeah. And, uh, she started out as, as our assistant, our producer's assistant, and she was so great and so, such a good writer that that didn't last long. Um, but also like, something about like a big cold office building is so like haunting and it was so weird. And Greg would always just come and keep me company. And, um, and yeah, he was so nice. And we would have like really deep talks about music or tortilla chips or (laughs) marriage late at night, (laughs) but he was so great. And, um, and also, do you know Mike Henry? Yes. Yeah. So he'd always, be there yeah (laughs) yes yes and by the way he drew me this amazing like wolf as prince in this the super bowl outfit that he wore to play the halftime of the super bowl (laughs) and when i went to like I, i took it to our studio and it was hanging on my office wall in our studio in hollywood and then when i went to um to pack it tina's partner eric was like oh i'm taking this and i was like well it's mine and he was like yeah but it will like remind me of like you know you and our time and i was like okay so he took it and had it framed and now it's like hanging at at tina Fey's little stranger production company in new york which i told mike so is that, he is mike gonna make you another one i don't know i, I don't like know you need one. i feel like i feel like the all the right thing happened i feel okay. like that wolf needed to see new york city yeah yeah <laughs> I guess, but I feel like you need a wolf. Like, I feel like
0: Mike Henry is attain- is uh, reachable. Yeah. He just needs to make another one.
1: He can't yeah. wait to draw more wolves.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Uh, okay. What was your favorite thing about Busy Tonight? Oh, my gosh. I didn't... I mean, I just loved everything about it. I, re- I mean, I truly did. My favorite thing that we did is, like, there was just some kind of magic about that show where we would love to like surprise people just to like, you know, just surprise them with a nice surprise. Um, we did the segment called tweet dreams, which I feel like other shows have started doing whatever, but, um, but where we would dig through people's old tweets and figure out like what some celebrities like fantasy was. So, (laughs) you know, so we made like, um, for Shane West, (laughs) Uh he had one time tweeted like don't you ever wish that you could play like life-size Mario Kart and so we made like a life-size Mario Kart and <laughs> oh, he was really so cool. adorable because he was like I love this jumpsuit, I love this <laughs> helmet, I love my little cart. I love, you know, and he just had a blast. And also this actor Michael Ely, he dream he I think he tweeted maybe, I don't know. He that he dreamed of learning how to DJ, like d- to be a hip hop DJ and that his favorite DJs were Eric B and Rakeem. And so we got, we just called Eric B and he was like, yeah, I'll come out there and like show Michael Ely how to DJ. And it was such a cute moment because he was just like, Oh my God, I can't believe it. And then there's like a really famous like Jenna Fisher, mm-hmm likes to unbox things you know those unboxing videos online oh my god could she come over and open my packages <laughs> <laughs> i so, hate to unbox you know so that our producer came to us and was like okay so we're looking for something to do with Jen fisher she likes unboxing things so i'm thinking an unboxing thing and then i was like okay and then we're like okay what are the layers here like what how are we gonna like bump it up so it's like interesting Noisy. for television. That's yeah. The TV word, right? And so, uh, so I was like, well, we all individually know someone who was on the office and her birthday's coming up. Why don't we contact everyone we know from the office, ask them if you were going to put something into a box for Jenna Fisher, what would it be? And then she can open it and try to figure out who from the office. Oh, that's sent a that fun idea. So we all reached out to who we know from the office. And then Steve Carell was like, they'll come get in a box. <laughs> 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 and he was and the funny thing is like we had to edit the show down but the funny thing is is that so <laughs> we came back and we had all the boxes preset like ready to go and so we had this big box that steve carell got in behind like because we wanted it to be a surprise for yeah. everybody and she had been like off getting her makeup touched touched up or whatever so we come back to the show and like busy's trying to get into the box thing and she was talking about like she her hobby is baking bread and so she was talking she had brought like starter dough for Uh busy like dough starter and all kinds of things for busy and she was trying to give it to busy and busy was like trying to get her to move on because we knew that steve carell was like in a box maybe (laughs) passing away and she was just really talking about this bread which is like (laughs) perfectly fascinating topic whatever but busy was like okay okay <laughs> because we were just like oh i'm like looking at the clock like, yeah. oh shoot steve carell is in that box for a really long time <laughs> a really long time and it was so sweet because he was just like yeah i can come that we were like it'll take 15 minutes whatever and so he came and did it it scared the shit out of her i felt so bad because we definitely never want to scare anyone but it was so cute and so sweet and they like got missed and then he just like hung out for like an hour after like chatting, and we were like, we y- we know you have to go. You only had fifteen minutes, and he was like, no, 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 it's cool. Oh, that's so out. nice. So that was really sweet. Can I throw in one quick little thing about kind of that segment? Do you remember uh, surprising Tay Digs with this one of his Instagram videos about cooking fish in the yeah. microwave, and yeah. then there was music put to it, and yes, I did that music. Uh- you're a friend of Nelson's. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That was so great. Thank you for doing that. was oh, so cool. Yeah. We had so much fun with Tay Diggs. He's like such a charmer and we played like virtual reality dancing with him. It was really, it was a fun time. He's a charmer.
0: So wait, how, uh, how long was
1: Steve Carell in the box? would you say? Oh God. <laughs> yeah. Easily like 13 to 15 minutes. It's probably a long time in a box.
0: Yeah. Um, Whitney
1: C would like to know what your favorite fruit is oh what is my favorite fruit i do like i like bananas as an object mm-hmm. i know that seems like i have a lot of decor that is banana themed mm-hmm. i have a banana tattoo that is also in honor of prince a purple banana where is it It's just on my arm mm-hmm. isn't there oh that is um but i guess my favorite fruit is like i like pineapple and raspberries Um, solid fruit choices.
0: (laughs) Uh, (laughs) uh, Jonathan Feldman would like to know favorite deep cut Prince song.
1: Oh gosh. Well, okay. There's the song private joy on, um, on that controversy album. I don't know. I don't know if it's a deep cut. Um, it's like people that just know purple rain, Probably have never heard Private Joy, um, but it makes me. It still like makes me scream like a teenager. Like, (laughs) here's the why I like it. I was just talking about this. They just had this Prince originals album come out, which is like uh, songs that he wrote for other people that were covered by other people, and it's his demos, his performances of those songs. So there's like. a song that Kenny Rogers released that Prince wrote. And a lot of people, I love how surprised they are that he wrote, um, manic Monday for the bangles. And, uh, so I love that he, you hear this demo and he just sings the line like without swapping any of the pronouns or anything. I was kissing Valentino by (laughs) crystal blue Italian stream. And so, um, he, I think that he loved Valentino and in the song, private joy, Uh, he says, I strangled Valentino. I don't know why he murders (laughs) Valentino. I strangled Valentino. You've been mine ever since. If anybody asks you, you belong to Prince. And that is like, I have like a mental and virtual museum of songs where Prince says his own name. I love it. It just like makes my heart flutter. (laughs) Uh, Photographs of Prince wearing sneakers if you have a photograph of Prince wearing sneakers, I would like it. And clips of Prince chewing gum because he chewed gum on stage a lot and I just like it. Because it's so like, anyone else you'd be like, oh, that's kind of gross. But him, I, I dug it. I like it. <laughs> um, Tiffany Fuller says,
0: probably, uh, okay. I assume she signed NDAs for Rosie O'Donnell, Busy Phillips, Joan Rivers, David Letterman. But, but did you?
1: No, I think like, I mean, maybe, I guess I probably sa- signed one for Dave, but I don't remember signing any for anybody else. They're really ineffective, by the way. Right. Anyone that thinks that you're like super protecting yourself with an NDA. I mean, don't get too comfortable. That's
0: a- <laughs> uh, so how does she feel about Paul F. Tompkins?
1: I love him he's one of my best friends in the whole wide world he's one of the best people in the whole wide world uh, he and his wife Janie is also a really close friend of mine um he's listen it's like it's so corny to say but I always say like he's a real comedians comedian because every comedian that I know and like and respect they all look up to him because his abilities are just beyond compare you know and so to have gotten a chance to write for him and to write with him was amazing to me because i was a big fan of his before i ever knew him like uh when he was on mr show when you know when mr show was first happening like i <laughs> we were the only people in our peer group that had cable and so everybody would come over to watch mr show and it got to be a thing where i would like i would get so like um aggro because people would be like talking and not paying 100% attention to mm-hmm. Mr. Show. And I'd be like, you have to listen or get out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like that's, that's it. The parties ended and now we're watching the show. So, <laughs> so I was a big fan and, uh, yeah. And he's just as wonderful as you would hope. And as funny as you would hope. He's so nice. And he's, he's really, you know, what's amazing about him is he's really generous. And I think that comes from being so confident in his own abilities. I hope he's confident in his own abilities. Um but he's just really generous in that a lot of people, it's been my experience a lot of times when you know, you're just trying to collaborate with someone or just trying to get some work done or whatever and you feel like they're not hearing you and you you know, and I feel like he hears everything that you say and if it like strikes something in him. He's so generous with being like, with like giving it up to you. This is so funny. And, you know, and he's always giving people credit for like the genius things that they came up with that really tickle him. And then, um, you know, and also like an idea that you have he'll if you're working together, he just takes it to like another level. And that's really generous to be like, Oh, here's a thing that I could add to this. And like, take it to this other mm. place and uh, not everybody does that. And it's like, it's the simplest, most logical thing. And you'd be surprised how many people get tripped up on that. And I think it's an ego thing and he doesn't, uh, he doesn't really need to have an ego about it because like you see it, you know, he's yeah. the best, just the best.
0: Yeah. I've had him on the show a couple times and both times afterwards. I'm like, I want to keep texting you. <laughs> like, I don't want this conversation <laughs> to end. Um, Let's take a question from Twitter. Sure. Okay. Uh, Pastry plate says sequel to Jane Jones screenplay, the musical. I enjoyed the book and I just need to know more. Yeah. You wrote a, a young adult
1: novel. Yeah. I don't know that. I don't know. I don't. I don't think the market did not cry out <laughs> for a sequel to that novel, um, but it was fun and it was super cool experience to have done. And I do hope to write some other type. I've I've like ghost written some celebrity memoirs or memoirs, um, and I like that. And I really loved writing a YA novel. It's such a different experience. How did like, was that something that. Like did you
0: just have this idea that you wanted to write a YA novel or did someone come to you? No, it was really interesting. Like I was just
1: tweeting. I was like we were kidding around. I was joking around with like the um the riff Tracks guys on Twitter years ago. Uh just we were making fun of Twilight. I'm sorry. <laughs> Just like the vampire phenomenon Mm -hmm. and talking about how like it was so weird that the teenage vampires are always so sexy because to be frozen in the worst time of your life (laughs) would be, you know, and I was like, if I was a vampire, I'd probably be like blood intolerant. And then (laughs) I was like, I'm going to write a YA book about like, you know, the most awkward frozen vampire who's blood intolerant. (laughs) And then all these like vampire, you know, this is back in the day when it was, a little easier. Uh, the the noise ratio on Twitter was <laughs> was a little less, and all these like vampire fans were like, "When is this book coming out?" And I was like, <laughs> "I I was kidding. I was joking." And um, then yeah, people were just like, "Oh, I'll hook you up with my agent." And I got really lucky to like sell it to Random House. Nice. Yeah. Uh, everyone should go check that book out. Yeah, it's and cute. Stuff. Yeah. It's cute. Here's what I don't want. It's for like. 10 year olds 10 to 12 year olds so here's i do not if you are 42 years old do not go get that book and then read it and then write on goodreads that it seemed immature (laughs) because you are 42 and you should read books for grown-ups that's (laughs) disclaimer noted i'm just letting that happens a lot that happens i'm speaking for all ya authors uh it happens a lot that like some you know somebody on goodreads will be like i don't know this seems very immature and they made immature decisions and i'm 52 (laughs) and you're just like well it's because it's for children yeah children yeah how did you know how to write for children Um, cause I am a children. (laughs) I just feel like, uh, I feel like I, I don't know why, but I just feel like I've really maintained touch with what it's like to be 15. Mm -hmm. You know? Um, I feel like that's probably 15 or 16 is really like where I kind of, I don't want to say like I live emotionally, but I'm just very... I feel very empathetic to to (laughs) kids that age. I think it's really hard. I think that especially like in this modern world, the pressures that are, that are on people that age to, to, you know, to be perfect and to be noticed and to be loved and to know where they're going and to not make mistakes. And it's just a lot. It's a lot. And so, um, So I really just, yeah, I really just love, I love any kid. Like it's the, the worse the kid is, the more I love, kid (laughs) but you know, so everyone that's like, Oh, this one's a real handful. I'm like, Oh, I'm going to love this kid. Um, but yeah, I just really like identify with, you know, Oh gosh, being a kid is, it's a lot.
0: Yeah. It's a lot. Um, I have another podcast that I do with Greg Fitzsimmons called Childish, and it's our parenting podcast. And yes. we have this segment, Explosive Diary, because we both kept diaries when yeah. we were young. So we read first we make obnoxious fart sounds, and then we <laughs> read diary segment, diary bits of our diaries. Yeah. And I've been reading ones from when I was like around the time I got my period, and I was very yeah. young. And um, it's just so like filled with emotion and raw. Yeah. And and Greg says, I mean, like, imagine if you had social media at that age. And yeah. I've been like haunted by that thought since then of just what that must be like for kids to be feeling what's in the diary, but to have this layer, this social media going on too. Yeah, I for can't sure. even, because I barely handle it and I'm an adult.
1: The biggest thing that I notice is that Listen, when you're that age, you, I think a lot of people feel left out, even if they're not left out. Right. Um, I think that's like a default that yeah. I remember my kids feeling that way, certainly. And uh, now I think, like with social media, there's a lot of evidence when you are left out. And so that's the mm-hmm. thing that I'm hearing from, like, especially uh, from friends that have like teen girls. They're like, well, she knows everybody is like at a party that she's not at this right. weekend. And, and that's a rough thing. And I'd love to be like, honey, you know, <laughs> it gets better, but it really doesn't. Mm. <laughs> like there are a lot of things where I'm like, Oh, I could have easily been invited to that party. I know every single person in that yeah. picture, but you know, but I also get it like on an, uh, on an adult level. And I'm sure that I've been in many a picture where, where people are like, Oh shoot, I wish I was there too. Mm-hmm. But, ah, uh, yeah, it doesn't, it's complicated. It's Tough. complicated. Yeah. And you don't think about it. You know, you don't think about the whole point of social media is to sort of like reveal something about yourself and like in a hope of connecting and who wants that more than a teenager. And so you don't think about what you're revealing and, and how that could like stick to you or, you know, how someone could use it against you maybe. Um, but I have to say also like, kids are just from another planet now too they're way better at this stuff and and I don't know it'll be interesting and hopefully not horrifying to see like down the line what it means for everybody in the in the way that they develop emotionally but like my my kids um do you remember when there was like a new york was it in the new york magazine some teenager wrote a profile of like this social media app that stormed their school where you could say anonymous things about anyone. Oh, yeah, sort of. Okay, so the girl who wrote that was a student at my kid's high school. Oh, wow um in Connecticut and so I was asking my kids like I was like to my younger son like has anyone written anything anonymous about you on this and he's like no and I'm actually like offended like I didn't even make it onto this app like nobody bothered to say anything and then I was asking my son you know my older son did anyone say anything about you and he was like yeah somebody said that like I was born a girl and that you know and that I'm living as a boy or whatever and I was like okay and I was like you know how do how do you feel about that? And he was like, eh, <laughs> like he was just sort of like, yeah, maybe they can keep it in more perspective. Than yeah. It. And he was just sort of like, so what if I was, I'm not obviously like, we right. know that I'm not, but so what if I was like that? You know, wow. that is not an insult. Yeah. You know? So I was just sort of like, okay, so who knows, who knows how they will handle these things yeah, I think the better than we do. <laughs> yeah, probably, probably. Yeah.
0: Casey thank you so much oh my gosh it was
1: so nice to catch up with so you So
0: nice to catch up with you um I hope that you guys are able to make the show you want to make where you want to make it
1: thank you I hope so too I have faith
0: yes uh tell everyone where to, f- to find you and plug whatever
1: oh jeez. um you can just find me on twitter um that's where i usually am on instagram i'm trying to instagram more because i feel like that's the future <laughs> um but uh but it's picture based so that's like a lot of pressure to, it, like, it really is comb yeah. your hair and you know <laughs> um but i'm um, on Twitter, my first name at Casey's C A I S S I E. I'm on Instagram at Instacase. Um, I really just don't do anything on Facebook, but who knows? Who knows? Uh, I'm still there. (laughs) If you want to go visit my gallery of Prince chewing gum clips, that's there (laughs) on my Facebook page somewhere. Um, and uh, yeah then otherwise I'm just like around Los Angeles say hi to me if you see me <laughs> at Coffee Bean
0: and uh, I am on Twitter and Instagram at Alison Rosen my website's is alisonrosen.com if you like what you're hearing subscribe, download, rate, all those things Tony where do we find you?
1: I'm at Tony Thaxton on Twitter and Instagram
0: thank you so much for listening everyone I love you, goodbye Hey do you know about the Alison Rosen show
1: time, but now we gotta go,
0: yeah, Allison Rosen, here's your new best friend.